0: God, uh, it's good to see everyone, um, and before I start, I want you to join me to celebrate all the pastors in this house, um, see it's not easy, you know, to do the work of God, and they do it so effortlessly, and we bless God for their lives, praise God. So we're, we're um, on the topic, the art of worship, right? And um, we've been studying John 4 for a few weeks now. How many of you have attended at least two or three of the Art of Worship series? At least now, two. three. OK, praise God. OK, so um, we are continuing that and our uh, central um, text has been John 4. So we are going to be on John 4 again. But um, Today, I want us to focus on John 4, 22. So, let's open our Bibles to John 4. While we're opening our Bibles, I want you to know that, see, like Paul said, you don't, we don't come to anyone with words of eloquence or wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts. And the good thing about allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart is that He's the one who knows where you are, the exact place where you are, what you're searching for, what you need, and then He speaks to that need. That's why in the same service, everyone hears different things because the Holy Spirit is taking His time to speak exactly to the needs of your heart. So be mindful that God is listening to the cries of your heart and He's answering them whichever way. So do not pay attention to... My, my theological knowledge or lack thereof, right? Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the words that I speak, praise God. So the background story, John chapter four, Jesus is going somewhere and then he passes Samaria, which is very unusual because the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealings. So the Jews, wherever they have to go to and they have to pass Samaria, they will go through another way to get there. But Jesus um, went through Samaria to where he was going, and he met this woman on the well, and he started the discussion with her. And, um, you know, from... Okay. So the conversation went from, give me water to drink. You don't have what you used to judge water from. "If You knew who I was, you asked me for a of life. Um, give me some of this again. Then, sha, sha, they were having a conversation, shake it. But it struck me something that happened. When Jesus spoke to this woman and said, you have been married five times. The husband you are with is not your husband. You have told the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. OK, yeah. because that other voice, is a strange spirit. Oh, so yeah. um, <clears throat> he says um, then she, she asked Jesus, you guys said that we should not worship on this mountain, but on this mountain. And Jesus said, um, he says, so this is from verse 20. He says, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? But you pe- your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. And Jesus responded, says, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart, you people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart, for God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth, praise God. So my focus text will be 22, it says you people do not really know the one that you worship. We Jews worship out of our experience. I like this particular um, version of scripture because um, Jesus was somehow talking to the woman as though if you knew who you were worshiping, you would be asking whether it's this mountain or this mountain. Do you understand? So it was not the knowledge of how to worship, but the who you knew that you were worshiping. That was the main issue. You understand? And so today I'm going to, I have no text for my script, my message today, like topic, but I want you to speak on that thing. We worship what we know, right? See, worship is not some, it's, how many of you learned how to eat? When you were born, you went, you took a class, eating class one-on-one. See, when a plate is brought before you, you take a spoon or a cutlery, right? This music is blessed, do you get? And then you, you put it in this way, downwards towards the plate. And then a small oval like this thing on your face will open up, you know? Nobody taught you how to eat. You learned how to eat. But you taught yourself what was good for you to eat, right? Because of knowledge. So if you travel out of this country, you'll probably not eat anything because you have no knowledge about what they eat, right? Nobody teaches you to worship. How you worship is determined by what you know that you're worshiping. And the degree to which you worship is the degree of knowledge that you have of what you're worshiping. So why do people raise hands when they worship, or kneel when they worship, or roll when they worship? They don't do these things out of tradition as such but because they know who you're worshiping. So for instance, when the revelation of God as king comes to you while you're worshiping, you bow instinctively, you don't rehearse to bow. Do you understand? That's why the presence of God can be in a place and somebody is just standing, because you do not know who has entered the room. you understand? It's the same way when, a guy that wears a normal t shirt and trouser enters a room, and you're just doing it anyhow. Then you find out that that person is the president of a country. See, you're, you will not rehearse your next reaction, it will just happen to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, worship is a lot to do with knowledge. You have to know who you're worshiping. The children, the Jews in this context, right, would insist on Jerusalem as the mountain of worship because they saw God appear to them there and say that I have put my name on this place as a place to worship. And when God was speaking to Solomon, he said, Whatever prayers you offer in this place, I will answer. Do you understand? So when somebody comes to tell the Jews that, no, let's not worship on this man, let's worship on this man, they are like, no, this is where the name of the Lord has been placed. And this is where you must worship, is knowledge. But the scripture, God is calling us to a different kind of knowledge. And that's why Jesus would say that a time is coming, and here it is now, where the right place, will not be what determines worship, but a right heart. So that means there's a different kind of knowledge of God he's calling us to that would determine where our worship will be. Praise God. So, let's begin. Um, Worship does not exist outside of knowledge. You've heard about different religions, right? In the world, so many, Stories, myths. Why do you think that all these religions and myths they have a story, and in that story they create a picture of the deity in such a way that demands your reverence? So we have the god of um, fertility. You know, I don't know all those things. If you Google it, you see it. Um, and so, in, in in that time, if you read a lot of like historical in the Bible times. They will offer their God to Molech, right? They will, they will take their children to the God of Molech and they will burn their children up as sacrifices in fire. You know why those priests will tell those kind of stories to these people? Because they need to create a certain awe around the personality of that deity to demand your worship. You cannot just say, here, I have a religion for you guys. We don't have a God. We are all free. In this our religion. Do you understand? You can do anyhow. There's no God. There's no superpower. There's nothing to fear. Nothing to reverence. Nothing, nothing. How are you going to worship? What will people be doing? Do you understand? Somehow, even in a gathering, there's just, there's just when you want to tell people about Nigeria in those days. And you wanted them to be in awe of your country. That's how you say it, right? You say, We are like this. We fear nobody. We can survive anywhere. Something, something. If you know, even your, you will even glorify your hardship in such a way that it becomes pristine. Like people are like, Oh my God, you fought a lion. You know, because you, worship has like different, like, Meanings and one of the meanings is reverence and awe. And in the original word where worship was extracted from, it actually means worship. It's like to place worth on a particular thing that commands your reverence to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's no worship, does not exist outside of knowledge. Do you understand? And so Jesus was speaking to the woman as though to say, If you really knew who I was, this mountain or this mountain will not be an issue. It's not even something that you should be asking for. Do you understand what I'm saying? So today I'm going to be teaching on three different kinds of knowledge and how that helps our worship, okay? So the first is general knowledge. When you become a believer, you become a Christian, you have general knowledge. This is knowledge that the Holy Spirit impacts to you that makes you give your life to Christ, right? That comes into salvation. So you have knowledge that, okay, there's, I am I'm, I'm a sinner that needs saving, and there's a savior who has come to save me, right? And I believe in the things that the savior has done, and I am saved, okay? So this is like general knowledge. This is like GST, do you understand? You start, you start here. And so our worship at this point becomes like, oh, he loves me so much. He died for me. Do you understand? And you're just like, why would somebody leave his glory and come and die for me? Do you understand? This is general knowledge. And then as you read your Bible constantly, you get more general knowledge. This is knowledge that's available to everyone, right? You cannot tell me now that only you know Genesis 1. Do you understand? It's available to all of us. Right, And as we read it and as we understand it, we have a clear picture of God and we have a reference to worship. So if somebody comes and says to you, let's worship the God who parted the Red Sea, you know it, you understand it, and you can imagine it and you can give reverence to one who can do such a thing, right? So so this knowledge comes from God, okay? You can find it in His Word. You know, um, a lot of us have our ideas of God from the things that have, like our parents have told us, the things we've learned in Sunday school, which a lot of times are wrong. The things we learned in Sunday school, the things we learned from our friends. I was talking with a little girl in this school that we, we go to talk to the children. And this girl is very knowledgeable about scripture. But she hasn't really read the Bible. Do you understand? So I went and I was like, okay, I'm teaching you guys about the gospel, right? This is gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And she says, is it, is it like she's Spanish? So her English is. So she's like, is it, is it that like when when um, Jesus Christ came to die because we're all destined to die and be doomed, and then he came to save us so that we will not have to die again and we'll live forever with him? I was like, well, yeah, do you understand? Like, that's it, but later was like, she hasn't really, she doesn't really, so she'll say, I heard, like when we're talking about death, and I was teaching them that, see death is not really like a bad thing, it's just you are separated from one level of life to another. That's why if somebody, if you have blocked somebody from your mind, you can say this person is dead to me, do you understand? So the person has just left one level of your affection to another. Death, right? Separation. So I was talking to her. So she was like, "I was not. I was not teaching them that. See, as human beings, we are created to live eternally. So we either live eternally with God or eternally like outside of God." And she was like, "Man, eternity outside of God. I don't want that. It's like hell and stuff, right?" I was like, "Oh, <laughs> so also I was like, yeah. Like, do you understand?" I was like, "Where do you really?" But anytime she refers, she keeps saying. I heard that, then she would say this, 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 I heard that, then she would say this thing. So I was like, you heard right, whoever is teaching you, please keep teaching me. But at some point that will not be enough anymore. Because when you can no longer visualize God through somebody else's eyes, you have nothing else to worship. Do you understand? Nothing else would demand that reverence from you anymore. So we start with general knowledge. But then we move to experiential knowledge, right? Experiential knowledge is the same thing. See, when two people, have, when two people come, if you do an experiment, eh, one has experienced God, one hasn't. And you give them a Nigerian song to sing. Eh, it's different. Sure you understand. Our parents, when they are worshipping God, I don't know what they've seen or touched or encountered. But they're... The way they hold on to God is different. We can be here, we can be asking questions. Why did Mary give it to Jesus? Why did she not give it to him? Do you understand? They don't even ask those questions. There's a part of God that they have felt, they have touched, they have seen. You can't take God away from them. Do you understand what I'm saying? If eh, you were dying and you prayed and God answered your prayer and you didn't die again, your worship would be different. See, you know that God parted the Red Sea, but this God that saved me from dying, is, is, it's not like it's a different God though, but it's a different God, do you understand? Your reverence for God who listens to you on a personal level is different. So we must always move from a general knowledge of God. If we say that God is a healer, how do you worship in reverence to a God who is a healer? If you've never been sick, and God hasn't healed you. Do you understand? Or someone close to you has never been sick and God hasn't healed them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you would say with your mouth that God is a healer, but your heart may not really agree with you just yet. Do you get what I'm saying? But then again, I'm thinking to myself, is it everything of God that we've experienced? No. So how do we get to worship God in dimensions that we haven't experienced, but we know to be true? You understand? Because experience is not the Holy Spirit. Do you get? Experience cannot teach you everything about God. It will will reveal you to the acts of God that God can do, but not everything about God. You see, that was the difference between Moses and children of Israel. They could worship God because they had seen God move but they never really knew the heart of God. So a father to you or someone dear to you is never really what the person does for you. It's who the person is. It's out of the nature of who the person is that they can do something for you. So if I am not a drummer, I can drum for you, do you understand? But you cannot call me a drummer as that's as though that is all of me. Because that's what you've seen me do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are levels to God in worship that we have to know. See, the reason why I am particular about knowledge is that some of us believers have really entered into spiritism. Do you understand? We come for the feelings, the ambience, this thing that they are doing. Do you understand? We come for that. And we just feel that that is the presence of God. How do you know God is here? Is it because we're all quiet and we're attentive and the AC is blowing? What if somebody is doing secret smoke machine from outside? You just think, oh, the Holy Spirit is here. Do you understand? How do you know? Because the Holy Spirit can be in a place and you will not know. Jacob said it. The Lord was here and I did not know it. I honestly gave the example of the men that were going to Emmaus. God was with them and did not know it. Do you understand? The entire world, Jesus was with them and they did not know it. Even after He had died and had gone back, till today, people don't even believe that He was here. Do you understand? So when we gather together as believers before God, how do you know when they say God is here now? They are like, okay. Okay, they said it, you must be here. Do you understand? But you ought to know for yourself that God is here. So, how do you know these things? This is where the bane of my talk is today. It's called intimacy, right? Intimacy, by definition, is the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. So, the being known by another person is done already because God created you so he knows you. Okay. You but its intimacy not complete if we do not really know the person back. So imagine if you're in a relationship and you really know this person, you can vouch for this person, but the other person does not know you. Do you understand what, what it means? You know that you can be, you can know somebody so much that if you're not in the vicinity, you can tell if the person is around. So for instance, when I was a kid, my mother had warned us that, no playing after school, right? After school, you wash your uniform, you do your assignments, and you can play, right? But sometimes when we get home, we find out that her car is not there, meaning she's not at home, meaning rules can be broken. You understand? So in the compound, I will go out and play, play. Do you know that our the, the estate where we were living was big, old, was big. See, when my mother is coming, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, see, I can sense her presence. You <laughs> understand? So before, before she even arrived, the vicinity, I've of taken off, gone through the back door, entered, packed all my things, soaked my uniform, gone to bed, pretend like I'm doing siesta as a good child. Please don't tell my mother this. She doesn't know. Okay, I think she doesn't know, but I think she does. Okay. Why can I tell that my mom is around? It's because of the level of intimacy that we have shared over the years. You understand what I'm saying? See, if I'm in deep distress, I can tell if help is around. You know how it feels like when you are really in a fix and your friend, you just see someone that looks like your friend coming you will just be like, help has come. You see, that's what happened. You can have intimacy with someone so much so, you can, go to the, you, can, you can speak on the person's behalf. You can say this person will do this in this place. Or if they tell you something about that person that's contrary to what you know by intimacy, you can confidently say that this person did not say that you were not there, you don't know what happened. You don't even know the circumstance that may even lead to the person saying it. And you can, take your, you can put money on it and say, this person will say that. That's why the conversation between those us, there's this example that I got that was really, really important. Intimacy is built with trust. If you don't trust God, you cannot be intimate with God, no matter how much time you spend in his presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your own own quiet time is 20 hours in the 24 hours in a day, and you do not trust God enough that what he says is true, no matter what time you spend in God's presence, you will not have intimacy with God. Because trust is key to intimacy. So when they say say something about God, you should should be able to trust it. You should be able to believe it enough to to stake your life on it. You know, that's what the disciples had when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. They put their lives on the line for this gospel. They put it there. They died for it and they were willing to, in fact, they would beat them and they would rejoice because they were persecuted for this gospel's sake. They put their trust on it. Do you understand? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that a lot of these heroes of faith did not see the things that God had promised them. But they were willing to die believing it because God had said it. And the Bible says that they were not fulfilled because of us so that the testimony of God will be complete in our time so that we can receive it. But they were willing to put their lives on it. What about this faith? Are you willing to put your life on it? To say, okay, I trust God this much. There's, there's no but, there's no else, there's no etc. Or etc. Praise God. You understand? So intimacy is not proximity. Right? If, if, if two couples are here, right? Two. It's, it's correct now. I mean like a couple here, a couple there. Two. Uh-huh. Okay. You can tell if intimacy is present or absent. No matter the scented candles, you dim the light, the there's a grand piano a jazz player fine china you can tell the difference so proximity is not intimacy if you are always praying and coming to god but you are never seeking to know him you will be close to him but you will never really know him and then you will never really be able to worship him do you understand see hours spent in prayer if it's selfish You will never get to know God. You will know what he can do. That's why the Bible says he showed his ways, his acts to Israel and his ways to Moses. And that's why Moses never went to God to spend 40 days. God called him and they went to talk and then it was 40 days. Do you understand? The Bible never records that, come to me for 40 days. No. He says, come up to me and I have things to say to you. And then the Bible records that the, the people had not seen their leader for 40 days. That means then Jesus said, God says, go, these people have not seen you. And so they are creating something else. If there was no issue, they would have been there maybe 100 days, 120 days. Do you understand? Praise God. And, and when he came down from that man, the Bible says that his face, people could not look at him because he had encountered the glory of God. That's what happens. He says, see, you always speak to me. If I have truly found favor in your side, show me who you are if you call me friend. This is a conversation that Moses was having with God. Why the other ones were sacrificing things so that their sins would be covered? Did they all have access to God? Yes. Even in the time when there was no Holy Spirit, they all had access to God. they said that this God you've been talking to wants to see him. Then he said, come to this mountain. Abi, then he spoke to them because they did not understand him. Do you understand? Fear gripped their hand and said, no, you go, right? Anything he says to you, come and tell us. What had happened? Because I don't think God spoke differently as he would with Moses. Because God communicated clearly his fear in the heart of Moses. It was very clear. Do you understand? He did not mix words. So when these people were making him angry, he had to strike the I really felt bad for Moses. Do you understand what I'm saying? But how had he so conditioned himself to hearing God that it was no longer an issue? He could even tell them, see, prepare, God is coming to speak to you. Wash, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Because he knew who was coming to speak to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, I I wrote here, right, that why do you think that heartbreak hurts so bad? Right, is because there's a you that you shared with this other person that they have broken the trust of. Do you understand? There's a you that you will not share with everybody or that you entrusted into the hands of somebody else, and then they broke it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If other of your friends leave you, it's not really be a big deal now. you be like, you have gone. I wish you all the best in life. Do you, do you understand? But somebody that you have shared intimacy with, if the person leaves you, it's like they take a part of you away. Do you understand? That's why it hurts so bad. And the reason why knowledge of God through intimacy is so important is because the Bible in... Um, Second Corinthians. Yes, in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, it says, but the moment turns, one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit and wherever he is, there is freedom. And we all we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil, We all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes for the Lord who is spirit. So this is what happens. When you have intimacy with God, you begin to look like him. You begin to resemble him you begin to speak his words, you begin to communicate his heart. So when you come to God in worship in that period, you are having a conversation. You already know this person and you know how to appreciate what they've done and you know how to even view what they've done for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how can worship be our lifestyle if we do not look like who we are supposed to reflect? Do you understand? If you don't have intimacy with God, it will not translate into your behavior and your attitude wherever you go. If not, anything that you do and you claim you are doing it for God, it will be acts of works and not grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? It should come naturally to you that you are excellent at your job because of who you reflect. Do you get Somebody should not always have to remind you for your words to be seasoned with grace because if you spend... See, people say... For instance, in the tribe, if someone walks here half naked, right, and and just comes and sits down, I will not be quick to say, this is the house of the Lord, oh, you know, dress well now. Uh-uh, you don't have respect for God, eh? What's wrong with you? No training. Dear elephant, I won't be quick to do that. I know what the power of the word of God can do in the life of someone who submitted to God. So all I need to do is point you to Jesus, encourage you to have a relationship with him, and on your own, These things will will come. See, the way you are today is as a result of knowledge you have. The clothes you wear, the car you dream to drive, the kind of job you want to get, the places you have told yourself, I can go and I cannot go, is born out of the knowledge that you have. The knowledge of God that we have through intimacy will determine the, the pattern the rest of our lives will take. And like the word of God says, we are transformed from one level of glory to another. Because we begin to look like God and we, begin, we reflect him just like a mirror reflects Jesus. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So that we reach a point where as we look in the mirror, we see Jesus. We don't see who we thought we were. We begin to see him because he's reflecting. When you talk, you, you say, this is how Jesus would have said it. It's not, it's not like, is this how he would have said it? Then you say it. No, you say it then you're like, this is how he would have said it. Because people will not be casually used to pray or to read your Bible or to have quiet time. They will not be saying, at least, do, do you get what I'm saying? It's just like, you, 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 won't, you won't beg me now to go home and be with my parents. Will you beg mm-hmm. me? It's, it's my own, have you? It's my own prayers. I can go there. and lie that, in fact, they will chase all of you out of the house when I come. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to, if you love someone, you, you don't have to beg you to spend time with the person. It depends on who do you do, you, you'll be like, it's because I'm, I'm hustling you, Abby. You are doing me like this. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Praise God. So I also wrote that um, um, I'm rounding up. And um. you know, I was just like, um, marriage, right? Is important because marriage is the only institution that clearly um, reveals what intimacy with God looks like. Do you understand? Couples that look together, they look alike over time. It's not because their genes start to blend. Do you understand? All those things they tell us and their DNA starts changing, something, something. I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay, how <laughs> <laughs> they do it? <laughs> do you understand? It's because they've spent so much time together that you. Who is viewing them begins to mentally picture them together. Do, do you understand? Because they're always together. People should see you and see Jesus. They should see you and be reminded of Jesus that walked on earth in scripture. People who, when you spend time with Jesus, people should be able to, when they say you are the Bible that anyone can read, it's not the things you say, it's how you live your life. The early church were called Christians because they mirrored Jesus. Not because they're going around and saying, oh, well, Jesus that time he was alive? Do you remember that guy they killed on the cross? We're, we're pals. We used to roll when he was alive. See, honestly, he ate <laughs> my house one day. I can call my brother for you. you. No, that's not what they did. Because of the persecution in the church, they scattered to different parts of the world. And because of the stories these people had heard about one Jesus of Nazareth, When these other Christians were interacting in the marketplace or with their neighbors or at school or work or everywhere, these people were able to recognize and say, these people behave like Christ. And so they called them Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Do you understand? So when we come before God and say, this is a worship experience or worship something or this or that, Is the knowledge that you have of God that you will bring to worship. When you close your eyes and nobody is looking at you, right? And you are alone and with God. Can you truly see his face? Can you return to the place where you have always been? Would he be strange to you? Would this be your first time? You know how it is when you go to the presence of someone with such great personality for the first time. You don't know how to behave. You don't know that. It's like this they are sitting down or it's like this or if the person come how do you greet? do you do like this do you do like this do you do like this what do you do are you comfortable in the presence of god enough to be yourself around him in private or in public do you understand what i'm saying see we must come to a place where of everything that's happening to us we know this god as i round up him and we read His scripture This scripture blessed my heart so much. It blessed my heart so much. And I could just imagine, so you know, before I read the scripture, I'll read it as a closing scripture. Paul was saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his son. It's not this kind of zealousness. There's a translation, let me see if I can find it. There's a translation, it's Philippians 3. The scripture is Philippians 3 um Philippians 3 8 to 11 Philippians 3 8 Okay um this one says verse 9 here in the passion translation says my passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law my righteousness will be his based on his faithfulness on the faithfulness of jesus christ is not um okay message bible Mm. okay yes the message bible philippians 3 from verse 10. he says i gave up all that inferior stuff so that i could know christ personally experience his resurrection power be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself I, i i like to say this thing like if god needed another person to come and die will you trust him enough to be the one that he will send yes do you believe this gospel and this life enough that god can god is looking at and says who can i send to go and save this world again and to die for them and god can see you and say this my friend can go do you know what it means for god to call abraham friend god was doing something i had no business abraham He said can i do this thing without telling my friend abraham Do you know how that sounds in my ear? It's it's almost like God feels like I'm doing something wrong if I don't discuss this with my friend first. God calls him friend. And this is Abraham seeking a personal relationship with God that his father didn't teach him about. He had nobody to teach him about God. He just heard God and spent, because his father was an idol worshiper, according to scripture, right? It's fellowship with God that brought him to the place where Abraham could plead for another nation. He could he could worship God. Would use he? God sent fifty people. Abraham brought it to ten. God was even willing to let go for one. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you must see, you must not see worship as an activity or an experience. Or an encounter. Worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's something that comes out of you when you are in the presence of someone you are familiar with. You laugh easy with a good friend. Do you get it? It doesn't have to be an act of worship to laugh easy with a good friend. Do you understand? Say, okay, it's time to miss my friend. Ha, 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 Such a good friend. No, you don't do that. Do you get it? You should come to a place where Paul said, I am willing to go to death itself for Christ. I'm willing, and indeed. No, he went through, you know, all that. Praise God. As I round up, I want you to hear words of a man who loved God with everything that he was, before he became king, before he became anything, he had an intimacy with God. He, had, he knew God enough to say, who is this one to defy the armies, the Lord of the angel armies? Like, I know the guy you are talking about. Are you mad? Goliath, are you mad? Like, wait, is it the same God I know that you are talking about? He says, tonight I will feed you. You see, I will give your head to these dogs. And then what did he tell? He says, The one who delivered me from the bear and the lion is able to give me to He was not looking at the size of Goliath. He was looking at the God he knew. Do you understand? And he had that. Even when he had king, he he was king. He had wives. He had money. He had victory. He had everything. He said, Better is one day in your course than thousand of See, if riches should take God away from you, you never really knew him. If your new job or anything can take God away from you, then you really don't know him. Is there anybody here who has loved a parent and there's nothing they're willing to give up for them? Praise God. And as I close, let's read Psalm 42 together. This is the Psalm of David. And this Psalm was written when David was in deep suffering and despair. This was not one of those days when he had won a battle or anything. And he says, Lord, I long to drink of you, God, drink deeply from the streams of pleasure flowing from your presence. My longings overwhelm me for you, for more of you. My soul thirsts, pants and longs for the living God. I want to come and see the face of God. Day and night, my tears keep falling. My heart keeps crying for your help. While my enemies mock me over and over saying, where is this God of yours? Why doesn't he help you? So I speak over my heartbroken soul. Take courage. Remember when you used to be right out front leading the procession of praise, when the great crowd of worshipers gathered to go into the presence of the Lord. You shouted with joy as the sound of passionate celebration filled the air and the joyous multitude of lovers honored the festival of the Lord. So then my soul, why are you depressed? Why would you sink in despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God your savior for no matter what, I will still sing with praise for living before his face is my saving grace. Here I am depressed and downcast, yet I will still remember you as I ponder the place where your glory streams down from the mighty mountaintops, lofty and majestic, and the mountains of your awesome presence. My deep knees call out to the deep kindness of your love, your waterfall of Weeping sends waves of sorrow over my soul, carrying me away, cascading over me like a thundering cataract. Yet, all day long, God's promises of love pour over me. Through the night, I sing his songs, for my prayer to God has become my life. I will say to God, you are my mountain of strength. How could you forget me? Why must I suffer the vile oppression of my enemies, these heartless tormentors who are out to kill me? Their wounding wounding words pierce my heart over and over while they say, where is this God of yours? So I say to my soul, do not be discouraged. Do not be disturbed for I know my God will break through for me. Then I will have plenty reasons to praise him all over again. Yes, living before his face is my saving grace. You can't tell me that this is just someone who hopes that God will save him. He knew his God. He knew his God. He knew his God enough to praise him even in this downtime. He did not know God for the happy moments only or for the things that God would give him. He knew God more than the place where everybody else had known him. And his worship came from there.